Thank you. Good morning, Grace. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. Uh, one clapper in the room. That's amazing. <laughs> Feeling good about myself. Um, welcome to Grace. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. If we've never met, would love to meet you. Uh, disclaimer. It's my first time preaching during three services. We just started this thing, right? So I'm timing myself uh, because if you have sat First service, I said sitting. It's not a word. If you have sat through one of my sermons, I could be long-winded. And so they told me I have uh, 30 minutes. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and fun fact, Josh has the longest-running sermon. I do not. So he's worse than me in that area. Anyway, uh, welcome to Grace. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 18. Uh, you're going to be there momentarily. Last week, we were in 17. Um, today, as we continue in the book of Acts, uh, we continue the story of the Apostle Paul and his missionary journey. Uh, he's coming to the end of his second mi- missionary journey. Um, so we'll, we're going to focus largely on verses 1 through 11 and towards the end, uh, 9, 10, 11, really. Um, but as we talk about that I w- and his missionary journey and him as a missionary, I want to talk about our missionary journey and our missions. And so, uh, first of all, shout out to everyone who went to Mexico yesterday. Are you here? Anybody? One, two people are here. They're like, I'm not going to church the next day, apparently. Two of you, you're more spiritual than those who didn't come. So good job. Uh, We have partnered with Spectrum Ministries. Throughout the year, we're doing a number of one-day trips down there on Saturday. Uh, If you would like to check that out, go on our website and sign up for a future trip. Uh, This year, we're sending, like we usually do, we're sending teams to different parts of the world uh, to partner with our missions partners in those areas. And so one team will go to Peru in September, and then the team and trip I want to highlight to you now is Thailand in June. And I've been going to Thailand and bringing teams from this church since 2009 to uh, a town called Mesot, Thailand, out of Chiang Mai, and we partner with two amazing partners, but here's what we're going to be doing this year. Every year is a little different with the projects we're going to be doing, so let me share what we're going to be doing. Some things like community outreach with our partners. Uh, We go into the Muslim neighborhood, and we do some outreach there. We work with kids. We do relief. We do all kinds of stuff. The two big projects we'll be doing is we're going to help build vocational training rooms for mothers who have escaped domestic violent homes. Uh, And then the other kind of bigger project is we're going to help install a playground uh, in an early childhood development center that one of our partners is uh, building. And so those are the kind of the big projects. And so I want to tell you that because uh, we have three needs that I would like to lay before the church. Uh, The first one is we have more room on this team. We have seven people. I want to get to 10. I don't like to get past 12, but 10 And our partners have specifically asked Shauna and I, uh, Shauna's our mission director, if there are medical people, social workers, counselors, slash therapists, and early childhood development professionals to come with us to help train their staff. So if God has laid it on your heart and you're in one of those areas, even if you're not, I'll take you. But, um, But if you are, come talk to me after the service and after the 1130, we have a meeting in the cottage. I can share more about that then. Uh, Second need, and I don't say this lightly, please pray for us. Pray for the team and pray for our ministry there with our partners in Mesa 
because we are scouting that area, which we've been going to, again, for over a decade, to send long-term missionaries there. That is our heart. That is our goal. So we would love to send a couple there at some point to Thailand. And so we're going to kind of scout that and see what we could do. And then lastly, um, we have a big financial need. Uh, each team member is responsible to raise their own budget, $3,500 each. Uh, and then on top of that, with our projects we're doing, we're going to need about ten to 12 more thousand. So if it's on your heart to give towards the Thailand mission, uh, you can give through our GraceSD slash give and choose the fund, uh, and you can help us out there. That would be amazing. That's what we're doing this year. Uh, my role at this church, it, my title is executive pastor, which is a fancy way of saying I do all the boring things. So I, I handle the finances, the facilities, the state filings, the, the stuff that a lot of people don't want to do. Um, I handle those things. I do like those things. But I was hired in 2014, as my title then was outreach and teaching pastor. So I taught, I preached, and then I led both the local and global outreach. So my goal and my task, and it's still under me now, is to get you all engaged in, involved in, and sent in our local outreach and our global missions and global outreach. Why do I mention that? Because today we're going to look at what it means to be missional, what missions means. And it's in the text, so we're not just making this up, it's in the text. Why do we do a mission trip, and what does that mean? Why are we meant to be a missional people, and why should we consider to be people who live on mission and go on mission? Well, throughout the book of Acts, if you've been here, we've been going through the book of Acts uh, since Easter. Um, I say that because someone left a review and said, why are they talking about this? Because the book talks about it. It's, we're just going chapter by chapter. So that's why. But the, the book of Acts is going through, right now, the missionary journey of Paul. And he's in a second missionary journey. And he's doing what was commanded of him from the Matthew 28 Great Commission of go and make disciples, teaching them all that they have been commanded to teach, baptizing people. And so he's going from region to region and town to town to establish churches so that the gospel of Jesus will be made known and people would believe in him. That's what he was doing. So in Matthew 18, we see another part of his journey unfold. So I want to read verses 1 through 17 together. It says this. After this, what happened in 17, Paul left Athens where he was, and he went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived, they were coming to join him from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, trying to convince people that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. Verse 6, and when they opposed and reviled him, I love this because Paul gets mad. He shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, 
a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, he believed in the Lord with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians heard Paul uh, and believed and were baptized. Some rejected him. A lot of the Jews rejected him. Paul got upset about that and said, forget you. I'm going to go talk to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And so some believed and some didn't believe. This was common with wherever he went. And then verse 9 to 11 is key. This is what it says. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, in a dream, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And then Paul, in response, he stayed a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. Now, as we've studied Acts, and we've seen the Apostle Paul along his journeys and his life from his conversion up until this point, we've seen all that he's gone through, right? He's been persecuted. He's been kicked out. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. Just all of the things. And I would think at some point he'd be like, all right, can I take a nap? Like, can I have a break for a second? And yet the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to keep you safe. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Just keep going. Keep doing it. I have people here. If it were me, honestly, I'd probably be like, yes, Lord, and then I would leave. Paul, instead, with humble obedience, stays a year and a half, and he ingrains himself in the church or in the culture of Corinth. And what's cool about this part of the story is in Corinth, what he's doing for a year and a half is he's establishing the very church that he would then go write First and Second Corinthians, those are the letters to the church in Corinth. He would then write them. This is the church and the, the beginning, the birth of that church he would later write to. So we're seeing this unfold. But it dawned on me, like, what if he left? <laughs> that would not, not have been good. That church wouldn't have happened. The church in Corinth, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been one of the most thriving, prominent churches with all its issues that we're talking about today. Why did Paul stay? And let me ask another question. Why did Paul stay, and why do we continue to do missions, us as a church? Two different questions with the same answer that I want to give you. Why did Paul stay? Why do we do missions? Why do we do outreach? Why do we do food distribution here locally? Why do we send people to Guatemala and Thailand and Peru and Tijuana, Mexico, (coughs) all the things that we do? Why do we do that? Here's the big statement and the answer. God accomplishes his sovereign plan through ordinary people in their ordinary lives. It sounds simplistic. God accomplishes his big picture sovereign plan to redeem humanity through ordinary people like you and I and the everyday ordinary lives like you and I have. That is what he does and that's how he accomplishes his mission. Ordinary people, like you, like me. In the text, it's Priscilla, Aquila, and Silas, and Timothy, and even Paul, leading teams across the world, in different parts of the world, since 2004, I have met a lot of ordinary people doing ordinary things, but God uses them strategically in in his sovereign plan to reach people to redeem them. I've seen it happen. Last year, we sent a picture to Peru, and our team um, 
I don't, I can't, I suck at saying this word. Aquitos, is that okay? You're like, I don't know. It sounds great. Aquitos, Aquitos, Peru. Our team landed in Aquitos, drove to the Amazon, and stayed with a partner called Catch the Vision. And there's a pastor there, and his name is Pastor David. He's wearing a white hat in this picture. This was on the last day of all the ministry stuff that they did. They get in a boat with bags of food. You all paid for the bags of food to go in the boat, to go down the Amazon River, to go to this village called Raphael, and they get out and they start distributing so every family would get a bag of food. Pastor David gets out, and as food is getting done being distributed, he stands up and starts preaching, just with people standing around. And he starts sharing the gospel and sharing it through his testimony. And at the end, in a bold way, but a humble way, and passionate and moving After sharing the gospel, he says, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And why not? And he says, you can know him right here, right now. Why are you waiting? And then he does something remarkable, right in this picture. He just says, I'm going to wait until you come forward to be saved. And he starts singing by himself a worship song. And four people come up. And receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and as the Lord of their life. Ordinary man. Ordinary life. Ordinary circumstances. God uses supernaturally, strategically in that place. And in his sovereign plan, uses Pastor David to redeem these four people to him. So I thought right now I'm going to sing a song to you. Acapella. (laughs) Amazing Grace. Until five of you, because I want to beat him, come for no, I would never do that to you. By the time we'd be done, you'd all leave. Never do it. Switching places in the world. Two weeks ago, we traveled to Guatemala. We've been going there for a number of years. Over 35 years ago, a Guatemalan man who lived and resided in Rhode Island, moved there at a young age, became a successful businessman just chased money and got married and just went after all the finer things in life. Well, he got really sick over 35 years ago, and he was on what he thought was his deathbed, and so he travels back to Guatemala to die, and he tells the story that he's laying in a hammock, and he says, it's there that I made a business deal with God. I'm not sure if God works that way, but you get the picture. And he says, God, if you'll save my life right now, I'll dedicate the rest of my days for your glory and to bring people to you. I'll help the people of Guatemala in their poverty and I'll preach the gospel. I will demonstrate the gospel, I will proclaim the gospel. And so that's exactly what happens. And so for 35 years, we were there two weeks, they have over 3,000 acres in Zacapa and they have a hospital, uh, an elementary school, an orphanage, a foster care program, an elderly home, a special needs program. A, a, a rehabilitation center, a youth camp. They have so many amazing ministry things, and they're reaching out to save babies all across Guatemala. They're planting churches in the villages all across Guatemala. They're doing amazing, amazing things. Well, this man, Carlos, we hung out with for two days a couple weeks ago, and he told us this story because he's no longer the CEO. He's the founder. He's like, I'm old. So I, my daughter's running it. So she's running it. And he goes to his daughter and he goes, I want to I build a church for the village outside of our campus. And she says, no. 
Imagine being told no by your daughter, by your kid. She tells him no. We don't have the budget for it. It's not in what we're doing right now, blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, I'm stubborn. And so he flies home and he sells a piece of property in Rhode Island. So out of his own money, he goes down and he's building this church outside of the Hope of Life campus. And we're standing there. And in two months, this thing went from flat, nothing, up, and and it's almost done. In one more week, this thing will be done. Normal, average, ordinary businessman with an ordinary life, ordinary family, and God uses this in his sovereign plan to bring people and redeem people to him. Last example, I've been to Cuba twice, and I've been brought there by one of our partner organizations. And two years ago, in 22, I went to Cuba, and I preached, and I did a bunch of stuff, and I sat across this man, Pastor Roberto, who for years and years, he's now in his early 80s, has used his home as a church. And one of the people we were with asked him, have you been persecuted? You live in, in communist Cuba. And he kind of chuckled, not in this picture. He looks very serious in this picture. <laughs> I took it with my iPhone. And he chuckled, and he couldn't remember. He said, I can't remember how many times I've been arrested and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And even though he has been in poverty, pretty poor, his entire life, hundreds and hundreds of church plants has uh, been sent out by his church all throughout the country of Cuba. Pastor Roberto, Carlos, Pastor David, ordinary people, ordinary lives, yet God used them for his sovereign plan to redeem people to himself. The Apostle Paul, very ordinary. He experienced ordinary thoughts and feelings and circumstances and the things he had that he had to survive and get through and be beaten and recover and go back and do it again. And in this scripture, we see the Lord encourage him and say, don't be afraid. Why would he say that? Because he was afraid. He was terrified. He was scared. He talks about it in, one of his, in his first letter back to the Corinthian church later on. In the second chapter, he says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He was terrified. So what does he do? He stays a year and a half in obedience and ingrains himself in the culture. And he does what a lot of the younger generation need to do. He gets a job. I just wanted to say that. (laughs) Trying to get my kids to get a job, man. He gets a job. I'm sorry. Don't be offended. He partners with Priscilla and Aquila. You may recognize those names. They, became, they become prominent house church leaders in the first century church. But he says, I, we're of the same trade. We're tent makers. So he partners with them, verse three. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul is a missionary in Corinth with the mission to spread the gospel of Jesus that he is the Messiah gets a job to help sustain them, but to create opportunities to then further the gospel and and spread the gospel. Why? Because when we believe, when we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, 
We leverage our everyday lives for God. That's what Paul believed, that's what he did, and that's what our calling is to do. When we believe in the sovereignty of God, we leverage our everyday lives for him, for God. Corinth is the city. It's a busy, large port city, major trade route, people going in and out on business. There's a lot of diversity in Corinth back then. Ethnicities from Greeks and Italians and Romans and people from Asia and Jews and there were people that were really, really poor, and then there were businessmen and, and government officials, just all kinds of different people. And so Paul chooses an ordinary life, an ordinary trade, tent making, to leverage it for the sake of the mission of God to redeem people. Now for us, in the Western world in 2024, this is a little different frame of thought. Because for us, if we're, if we're honest, we get jobs to be successful, to create the life we want to create. We, well, we want to make good money. We all do. We live in San Diego. We want a house and to drive a nice car and to go on vacation with the kids and do all these things. But if we're honest, we do what we do for our comfort and for the things that provide for us. And so when you look at the word leverage, it means to use something for maximum advantage. We do do that, but we do that for ourselves and not the mission of God, largely. I do this. You do this. We all do this. And I wonder, for us, me included, if this means we truly believe, truly trust the sovereignty of God. Because if God will provide for us, if he's truly orchestrating all this, if he's truly in charge we would trust him with everything and we would go and share his truth with everybody. But that's dangerous. It's hard. Because the outcome we think will be bad, will be rejected. Like how are you going to share the gospel at work? There's no way. How are you going to share the gospel with your, your gym friends or at the coffee shop or, or your buddies or your girlfriends or you know, your fellow students or your peers? How are you going to share the gospel, knowing that they're going to reject you, or you think that they're going to reject you. Your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your boss. It's way too close to home, right? We can't risk that much. And we can't do that because we can't control the outcome. And so when we work and live our lives for ourselves, we're then happy with the outcome we then produce, or at least we know what's coming. There's an there's a uh, a part of a control that we can have over it. But I'm telling you that it isn't our outcome to control at all. The result of sharing the gospel is not our job. It's not our responsibility. It's God's sovereign plan and our role, our role, like Paul's role, is to leverage our lives, our ordinary everyday lives, for the sake of his truth so that people would be called to him. So the Lord says something to Paul very interesting at the end. He says, for I have many in this city who are my people, who are my people. I have people here, he says. You're gonna stay here, Paul, because there's people here that, are, that belong to me, that are chosen, that will be redeemed. And so your job is to stay, not go, to not be afraid, but to go boldly. God is sovereign, and everywhere he has people. Piper 
seeks to define the sovereignty of God, he says this. He says, God is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authority. He says, God is powerful and authoritative. He is in control of all of this to the extent to which he can override every other power and authority created. So the big question is, if this is true, if we really believe that God is sovereign, that he has a chosen people to redeem out there in our neighborhoods, in our work, and out there in the nations, isn't it inevitable that they'll be saved, right? We ask that question. Why do we ask that question? Because we don't want to be responsible for it, right? I don't want to share the gospel. If that's truly God's chosen person, someone else will, and they'll get saved, then I'm good. If he really is sovereign, then why are we responsible? Why should we share the truth? Why is that responsibility on us? Why do we do missions? Why do we both demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of Jesus? Why in June are we getting on a 14-hour flight that I've done 100 times only to land in Taipei and then a three-hour flight up to Chiang Mai? Why are we doing that? As we go of this stream of questions, we have to ask, why are we here then? Why do we invite people to church? Why did you come here today? Why do we invite people to our house churches? It's because our missionary task is how God accomplishes his mission in the world. He does it through us. He uses us to reach people, to accomplish his sovereign plan, his mission. Because God has people everywhere. Some of you are sitting here right now, and you don't know him, but you are chosen by him to be redeemed by him. You just haven't yet. He says, I have people in the city who are my people. God has people in Mesa, Thailand, in Zacapa, Guatemala, and Tijuana, and Peru. He has people in this neighborhood. He has people next door in the buildings and the apartment complexes surrounding us. He has people surrounding your house churches, whether it's El Cajon or Chula Vista or North Park or Mission Valley or the Bay areas. God even has people in Alpine. I know that because I live there. God's sovereign plan is accomplished and realized through ordinary people like you and I through our ordinary lives. But that must mean that when we look at God's mission, we then change the way we see ourselves and we see ourselves as we look at God's mission as God's missionaries. You need to see yourself as a sent person, as a missionary. I know that's like, don't label me that. You're a missionary if you know Jesus as your Lord. That is your calling. Paul writes about it. When he writes the church in Rome, later on he talks about it. In Romans 10, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him? of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God has a people in your midst, in your orbit, at your work, at home, in the next room, your neighbors. God has a people at your gym, at your coffee shop, at your club, at your school. Everywhere you go, God has a people there. 
But how on earth are they going to be saved if they don't call on his name? How will they call on his name if they don't believe? And how on earth are they going to believe if they cannot hear? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't share and preach the gospel to them? And how are people going to preach if we as a church do not send? That is our calling. God is a missionary God. And we are a missionary people. That's who you are. That's who I am. And we are called to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Whatever we do. And whatever circle you go with, that is your role as a missionary called by your commanding officer to share the good news of Jesus. So I know today there's some of you that don't. You don't. You may be chosen You may be called to be redeemed to him, but you have never done that. So let me tell tell you the gospel. Here it is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, came and died for your sin and died for my sin so that you could be redeemed eternally and spend in in community with him and you will be fulfilled completely in him. And what that requires of you initially is nothing, just to repent and believe. You cannot earn your salvation. But it does mean you surrender your life to him. And you say, I'm not the personality to be a missionary, but I will surrender myself to you. Here's my life. I give it to you freely. And so I want us to pray that we would be ordinary men and women with ordinary lives, but in God's sovereign plan, he may reach his chosen, redeemed people through you, through me. Let's pray that we would be them. Heavenly Father, we love you, and when we hear a message like this, it's hard to see ourselves as people who can be used by you. We have insecurities and doubts and fears. We don't want to be rejected. We're not qualified, but yet that mandate is on all of our lives. And so as we sit in our comfortable lives, God, would you awaken in us your mission to make disciples of all nations, both at work and in Thailand, both at home and in Guatemala, so that everywhere we go, we would demonstrate your glory and we would proclaim your glory. We would live as people on mission with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.